If you listen to this podcast and follow what we do at Troutbitten, then you're a thoughtful angler, and you don't accept the status quo simply because that's how it's always been done. Squall of Fishing designs and creates fly fishing apparel with this same philosophy. Squalla was started by a group of lifelong fly anglers who spent their careers working for some of the biggest names in the outdoor industry, and they understood that essential fly fishing apparel like waders, jackets, sun gear, and insulation could simply be better. So now, Squalla makes gear for us, the like-minded few, serious anglers who don't take themselves too seriously. Check them out at squallafishing.com. Water is essential for life, but for Orvis, it's the blood of the brand. Orvis has been the leader in fly fishing since 1856. No other brand can match the explorative and innovative spirit they bring to the water today. Everything at Orvis is about inspiring and empowering adventure and wonder in nature. Rooted in the vitality of fly fishing, fueled by passion and curiosity for the outdoors, Orvis designs and develops products and experiences providing the knowledge and expertise to enable more meaningful moments and connections in nature. With over a century and a half of experience in the field and on the water, Orvis seeks to ignite that passion in others. This is the Trout Bitten Podcast. Trout Bitten. Trout Bitten? Trout Bitten. Trout Bitten. Trout Bitten? Yeah, Trout Bitten. Trout Bitten. It's about trout. Wild trout. This is Trout Bitten. This is the Trout Bitten Podcast, and thanks for tuning in. My name is Dominic Swantoski. I'm the owner of Trout Bitten and the author of TroutBitten.com. All right, here is episode four of season four. This season is about thoroughly covering all three styles of dry dropper. This is what I call a trout bitten skills series, and in this episode, we're ready to break down the style of tight line dry dropper. I do recommend listening to the other episodes in this skills series first, but you don't have to, because my friend Austin Dando is here with me to make sure that this episode stands alone and that everything we talk about is perfectly clear to each and every listener. Right, Austin? That's right. Can you make that promise? I make that promise. <laughs> on your behalf. It's <laughs> your job. That's why you're here. No, really. Um, you like this skill series format? I do. It's fun. I like how focused it is. And there's, yeah. uh, there's not a lot of guessing as to what we're going to go into, you know? Yeah. It reminds me of, uh, well, when I give presentations. And I'm, you've mm. done stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a certain set of information that you want to go through, but then, I mean, my presentations are never the same. You know, I like to kind of read the, read the audience. Right. I'm in this uh, business class right now as part of a, yeah. a business leadership thing outside of work. And we yeah. give a speech every week. The instructor always says there's the talk you plan to give, yeah, the talk you give, hmm. and then the talk you wish you would have gave. <laughs> and the sooner that we just accept that that's always going to be the case and just, hmm. you know, get rid of that, the better yeah. off we'll be. Now, be too rehearsed, have an idea of what you want to say and roll with it. I like that. These have gotten pretty long, right? I started mm. out saying this, this skill series is, is short and compact episodes. They were like, I was, we were kind of aiming for like 25, 30 minutes. Yeah. And mm. I'm surprised too, compared to, <laughs> uh, I thought the uh, tight line principles uh, was going to be longer than these ones are and they're not. Oh, the nine essential skills in, in yeah, season two. Right. Yeah. But these are running longer than them. That's true. I think like with the nine essential skills, we were talking about, I don't know, the strike zone, finding the strike zone. That's a very, mm -hmm. very narrow topic. Now, these are different styles, and yet within each style, oh, heck, there are many topics, right? And that's what we're doing every week. True. That's okay. They're a little longer than I thought they would be, but that's okay. That's all right. Yeah. Yep. It's a uh, two-beer podcast instead of one. <laughs> that helps, too. <laughs> as long as we're not rambling. No, uh, two, two beers for the <laughs> listener, not for us. <laughs> right. All right. All right. I'm going to stay with the form here and do as I did for the previous episodes in, uh, in this season. I'll read an excerpt from the Troutpitten article that serves as a companion to this podcast. It's titled Tightline Dry Dropper, and it's part of the series I published on the website a few years ago that covers each one of these styles. And you can always find that on Troutpitten. 
So this is a true story about a good morning of fishing on one of my guided trips. All right, here we go. Matt was full of questions. With more lines of thought and angles of approach than he knew how to manage, his questions spilled out in rapid fire. We talked and waded upstream together all morning in search of wild brown trout. Occasionally, Matt would catch himself talking a lot and look at me sheepishly, making a bashful apology about wanting to be a better fisherman and needing to make up for lost time. To which I assured him there was no need to be sorry. I love the enthusiasm of a diehard angler. And I'm the same way around my trout pitting friends. Let's talk shop. Tell me why you fish a certain way and I'll have a dozen follow-up questions. Rapid fire. So we were in the heart of a nice, even riffle. It was 80 feet wide and half shaded from the pines on the east bank. And we'd nymphed on a tight line for most of the morning. Focusing on the shaded lines of current, we'd picked one lane, learned its contours, refined the drift, and moved on. Our conversation was in a good rhythm, and we occasionally stopped for commentary about the gorgeous wild brown trout that reached our net. The fishing underneath was solid. Later in the morning, I noticed sporadic rises on the sunlit side of the river. Just upstream and across from us, the sizable rise forms were hard to ignore. You see those rings to the left? I asked Matt. Yeah but I'm on a nymph rig, he replied in between casts. Do you think we should swap over to a dry fly leader? It's hard to switch when the action is really good like this. Nah, I told Matt, stay on the mono rig, but let's run a tight line dry dropper and fish both levels. He paused and scanned the rise forms in sunny water. Sounds fun, Matt said, but what's tight line dry dropper? This is going to open up a whole new line of questions, I told my friend. Matt and I stood mid-riffle, right on the transition line of sunlight, and shade, watching a river divided down the middle, like we were standing on a zipper, with rising trout to the left and none to the right. So will those risers only eat the dry? Matt asked more questions as I tied a clink hammer to the tag and shortened the tippet a bit. Nah, I replied and pointed into the sunlight. They might eat the dry or the nymph, and I'm sure there's other fish around them too. It's fun to have a target though. It's a sure place to put your flies because you know for certain there's a fish down there seeing them. Then I pointed to the shade on our right side. And we won't ignore the trout over there either, I said. This is where we've been catching them. And on this rig, they'll still see our nymph in about the same way as we've been showing it to them all morning. But now they have the option to take the dry fly as well. They'll eat on top over there too, I think. So we fished. And I told Matt to continue with the casting stroke he'd been using all morning, with no significant adjustments. Don't let the dry fly change your cast. You're still nymphing. Think of it that way, I suggested. Matt nodded, and he caught on quickly. We worked upstream and caught fish on both flies. His forward cast stopped high, and the nymph tucked into the water first. Then the dry fly landed in the same seam, just downstream of the nymph. The dry gained contact with the nymph and did the work of suspending it. Matt stayed tight to the dry from the beginning, with no line on the water, tight from rod tip to clink hammer. And when everything lined up just right in a prime seam or ahead of a rising trout, the anticipation was palpable. You just knew they'd eat it. And they did. All right, so what I just read kind of lays it all out there. This is why we fish tight line dry dropper. Because it's an absolutely perfect solution for so many moments. Because it's convenient. Because it works. And because it's fun. So Austin, how often do you fish tight line dry dropper style? I mean... Put some kind of percentage on it. While you're out there, how often? Yeah. Um, that's kind of hard to answer, at least. I know. In comparison to the other two forms, I'd say I'd fish the tightline dry dropper maybe 80% of the time compared to oh, wow. um, standard dry dropper or light dry dropper. All right. Yeah, I prefer it too. I do favor it quite a bit. Yep. And for the reasons we're going to talk about, it's, it's super effective. And you can arguably get your best drifts on both flies with this method. Right on. And yet I would say it's the least popular or the least known about, right? Not too many people talk about tightline dry dropper. Yeah, I would agree with that completely. It's not that it's uh, not loved or, you know, it's not that people don't like doing it. I just think that it, the system in itself isn't very popular or talked about. Yeah. So tightline dry dropper is a way to fish dries with a long leader style. I call it a mono rig, a tightline or a contact system, a Euro nymphing leader they are all different things. We've talked about this before. Mm -hmm. All of those really are different things. And yet you can do this uh, tight line dry dropper style on any of those mm, tight line rigs, right? 
Yeah, and by adding a dry fly to really any long leader uh, formula that you prefer, yeah. we can now get tight, um, or at least in contact, with the dry fly that previously was mm-hmm. not available to us because we had a fly line in between. Sure. Um, and that's really the heart of why this works and why it's so effective. Yeah, that's where the magic starts, right? Yeah, Because you, right. can, you can be in contact with the dry, and then the dry fly is in contact with the nymph. That's how we're trying to set it up anyway. Yep. And right. so you have this tight line system all the way through, and yet both flies, as we're going to talk about, uh, if you set it up right, are really fishing well, right? Absolutely. And really, I don't think there's any other way to be tight to your dry fly. Hmm. You mean in comparison to other ways of uh, fishing dry dropper? In fishing dry flies at all. At what other time yep. can you really be tight to the dry? And by tight, we mean from rod tip to dry with nothing on the water. Right. If you get really close, okay, if, let's say you're using a Harvey leader, which is 10 feet long, 10 to 12 feet long after you tip it. And I don't know, if you get 15 feet away from your target, yeah, you can tight line it. You can kind of pick everything up. But even then, right. you kind of have the sag of a little bit of fly line out, and that's pulling you down some. In this way, we're using these tight line principles, or what I call a tight line advantage, straight to our dry fly. Right. And I think that is the key there. If it's really close to you, you can kind of sort of fake it a little bit. But the tight line dry dropper lets you have slack off the water at much greater distances Mm -hmm. and be unaffected to that dry fly and then below. Right. And that's what I always call the tight line advantage. And I say you can take Mm -hmm. that tight line advantage across all of these fishing styles. Um, It's not just Euro nymphing. It's, it's a tight line advantage taken to streamers, taken to, in this case, this dry dropper style. We do tight line, we take the tight line advantage to an indicator style. Uh, yep. We do it just even straight to a dry sometimes. But anyway, yep. it's almost like Tenkara that way. And <laughs> it is. I wrote an article about, uh, what, did I, what did I call it? The trouble with Tenkara and why you don't need it. And people take yeah. offense to that. Because they don't read it first. And uh, the point of that article is that everything you can do with Tenkara, you can do with a mono rig or a tight line system. Eh, in this case, I'm saying the ability to be tight to that drive fly is very similar to what you can do with a Tenkara setup straight to the fly. But in this case, we have two flies and now we have a nymph underneath that we have excellent control and strike detection on. Yeah, and that's one of the key benefits because... We get such good drifts on the dry fly because, yeah. like we've been saying, there's really no slack on the water. Yeah. You know, any line that's on the water, whether it be in a nymphing style approach, whether it be in a, uh, a dry fly uh, style approach, any line that's on the surface, mm-hmm. if there is any current, or if there's anything pulling on that, yeah. uh, affecting the flies, you know, it's going to cause problems. And this system sort of mitigates that or, or walks around that problem because we get to eliminate slack on the water. It really does. What you just said there is, uh, yeah, the the way of dealing with that trouble that you just mentioned in this case is to just keep all the line up off the water. Mm-hmm. The way we dealt with it um, in the standard dry dropper style was to mend, and we acknowledge that. Right. It changes the angles we can fish. It changes the way we have to give some grace to that dry fly. In this way, we're just keeping all that line up, out, off the water. So we get excellent drifts on the dry fly that way. And we also get excellent drifts on the nymph because we have really perfect control over the placement of the nymph and the dry fly. We've talked about this in the previous two episodes with the previous two styles that we don't have that great placement um, with the other systems about exactly where the nymph goes. We always want it to be in the same scene, you know. If we're really looking to get a true dead drift on the dry fly, on the nymph, then they better be in the same seam and cooperating with each other. Yeah, you're going to catch the fish here and there. You're going to get lucky once in a while if things aren't, you know, in the same seam. But boy, you'll catch so many more if you can get them in the same seam. And with this system, you do have that control in the cast to be able to make that happen. And that's special. Yeah, and, and the cast there is key. I kind of liken it to a light dry dropper where maybe when we're making a traditional fly casting stroke, it feels like we're fishing a dry fly. That feels very familiar. Mm -hmm. Well, for me, when I switch over to tight line dry dropper, I get to kind of keep the same casting approach as I was doing if I was fishing standard, Mm. you know, nymph rig. Agreed. And that placement is still available to me without much changing of my mechanics. 
the placement of the the flies, the nib, right? And, the ability to put the, the two flies in one seam, it still feels very repetitive, and yeah. it's not like I'm changing a whole lot. I just get to go on to the next tactic. Right on. And another great thing about this tightline dry dropper is you really have superior strike detection. You're obviously gonna <laughs> detect strikes on the drive fly. I mean, you're yeah. gonna see it. <laughs> really often you feel it. I've said before, it's a very exciting way to fish because you, you often see the trout coming and you kind of have to be restrained. Let them eat that dry and then set. Anyway, you also have fantastic strike detection underneath. Again, we want the nymph to be in touch with the dry and we are in touch with that dry. So there right are plenty of times where I actually feel the trout eat the nymph. And that seems strange because what you have, <laughs> you have a suspender in between, but no. Right. You can feel it. Well, and if, if you feel it, you obviously are going to see the dry fly move too. Right. So great strike detection. And like you said, all of this is a very easy adjustment. You don't have to do a whole lot in the casting stroke. And we're going to talk in a minute about how you don't have to do a whole lot with your rig either to adjust. So we can put multiple nymphs underneath with, do what you like. You want one weighted nymph? Great. You want two weighted nymphs? Okay. You want... I don't know, split shot somewhere in the mix, that works too. None of that right on. Is, is very particular. With this method, do what you like, as long as you have things balanced. And we're going to talk about that in a minute. So I think it was in, I don't know, the first episode of this skills series where you, you, you called it the driver's seat. One of the flies is in the driver's seat with these three mm -hmm. styles. And with the uh, light dry dropper, it's the dry fly that's in the driver's seat. And the nymph is kind of along for the ride. With the standard dry dropper, we said that the nymph is really in the driver's seat and you're getting, trying to get good drifts on the dry fly. And uh, which one's in the driver's seat here, Austin? Right. For myself, I think either one can be in the driver's seat just fine. Yeah. Now, again, it all depends on how we decide to balance the system. Mm -hmm. If I were to favor and say one was more than the other, I would probably say that the nymph is because of some of the things we just discussed where we can uh, take our regular nymphing rig and mm -hmm. adapt it slightly and still be able to cast and perform like a nymphing rig. Yeah. And we can uh, suspend quite a bit of weight or multiple flies underneath. And we can sometimes even feel the take of the nymph. Yeah. yeah. To me, that's all because in those situations, more often than not, perhaps the nymph is really in the driver's seat. But on the converse side to that, if we decide to, we can fish a little closer, mm. fish a smaller dry fly, and fish a lightly weighted nymph, mm. and still do a, uh, a light dry dropper style with uh, a tight line dry dropper. Oh, I see what you're saying there. You know what I mean? So the, mm -hmm. the dry would be in the driver's seat again. Uh, for me, on this tight line dry dropper style, I'm with you. I think the nymph is in the driver's seat, and then often that dry fly is along for the ride, but it's a really good ride. <laughs> or at least <laughs> it can be. So it's a nymphing cast. I, you mentioned this earlier. I don't need to change the cast. I add the dry fly. We're going to talk about how in a second. And then I stay with my nymphing cast. I'm still going to tuck things in. And maybe it's even more of a nymphing drift where I'm really knowing where that nymph is. Um, but the dry fly can get absolutely perfect drifts too. And you can see it. And why wouldn't the dry get perfect drifts? There's nothing on the water to drag right. it, you know? Right. I think that's especially true in this context when we're staying tight to a dry fly. Yeah. It makes most sense that it's going to be similar to a nymphing drift. That's a good point too. Yeah. For over a decade, Smith Creek has provided innovative, high-quality fly fishing accessories designed to put your gear in easy reach, free up your hands, and keep our waters clean. This September, Smith Creek is releasing two new products. Check their website to see the new tippet holder. Each unit is individually machined from high-quality billet aluminum and anodized in one of two eye-catching colors. They hold up to five tippet spools with a patented spring-loaded plunger design that is easy to load and keeps your spools right where you need them. All Smith Creek products are built guide tough and backed by solid customer service. To learn more about Smith Creek products, visit their website at smithcreek.co. Tactical Fly Fisher was started in 2015 by fly fishing team USA angler Devin Olson with a mission to bring American anglers the techniques and gear that dominate the international competitive fly fishing scene. While you may have no desire to compete, 
you can still benefit from the same strategies which competitive anglers use to make them more successful on the water. Whether you want to buy your nymphing rod, a stillwater fly line, or just some hooks and beads to fill your fly box, we've got you covered. And our teaching materials will help you learn how to use whatever products fill up your cart. Head on over to the tacticalflyfisher.com and use the code TFF10 to get 10% off flies, fly tying supplies, or terminal tackle. I do think this is the most effective style. We said that. Of the three styles of dry dropper, I think this is the most effective. By no surprise, because we talk about how contact systems, the mono rig, is such an amazing tool because of that contact and because of that control. That doesn't mean it's easy. But once you get there, well, it becomes kind of easy or very intuitive, but you're not struggling anymore to get these good drifts. And now because we have that control and that contact, which equals strike detection, it's effective. I agree. I also think it's the most effective by far. And there's a couple of reasons why I would consider it to be the most effective. And perhaps the first one is the versatility and the ability to uh, change the style of presentation. I just talked a little bit about which one would be in the driver's seat. And I believe that you can have either one there. So if you wanted to fish both styles yeah. without changing a lot else, you technically could fish or mimic the other two styles we've talked about with standard dry dropper or light dry dropper on mm. this tight line rig. Mm. But yeah, that was, in the same breath, switch back to regular nipping rig too. Yeah, that was a surprise to me when you start talking about back. That's why I like doing this with you. Because I didn't know where you were going with that, but I get what you're saying. And this kind of goes back to that crossover that we talked about. Exactly. You're saying you can take this tight line dry dropper style and treat it like a light dry dropper. And that, that's exactly. cool. You certainly can. There are limitations. You're not going to get S-curves mm-hmm. nearly, nearly as good as you can if you've got a fly line in the mix. S-curves often come from overpowering the cast. It goes out there and it kind of shocks back. And as, it, as the line leader fall to the water, those S-curves build up. But anyway, you're not going to get as many of those, but with the right leader, right. with the right mono rig, boy, you can certainly get that. I hadn't really thought of that, but that's cool. You're right about this versatility. You can directly do or very much simulate the other styles with this rig. Right, right. That's neat. We've been talking about being tight to the drive fly, and yet lots of times I, I will fish it beyond... 25, 30, even up to 35 feet from a boat. I've certainly done it at 40 feet. And at that length, no one is keeping all of the leader off of the water. Yeah. And you wouldn't want to either. No, right. You're not going to have that pure tight line advantage. You're right. You wouldn't want to because it would drag. Right. It would, the sag. And it doesn't even matter the leader design at that point. I mean it. Even a micro leader is going to sag at like 40 feet. It really is. Yeah. And with only the weight of a nymph and it, that weight of the nymph varies, of course, depending on what we're doing. But the only thing anchoring it is the surface tension of the water and any yeah. of the weight below. And we're just not going to be able to counteract that enough with this setup to be able to lift 40 feet of line off the water from a boat, from a moving target, and <laughs> right. still get it to act like we're not doing it. Right, right. So at long distances, we yeah, yes. we'll lay some line on the water, right? There is a time and a place to lay line on the water. There is. And so that dis- that's something we have to do at distance. And, and, well, that brings us to one of the major downsides or the drawbacks, I suppose, of tight line dry dropper is that it's a short-range method. It's best practiced, I'm going to say, 30 feet and closer. And although this... Agree. Yeah. And even though the style can be stretched out further, like we're talking about, most good fishing happens within this short range anyway, regardless of the tactic. Most good fly fishing happens within 30 feet. I mean it. And so we're not really going to be taking this tight line style beyond that anyway. It doesn't matter if we're doing tight line dry dropper or we're doing just, we're just pure tight lining. Yeah, we stay within that shorter range. And yeah, that's a drawback because there are some, well, when I'm on a bigger river, I start to feel like 30 feet is really close. <laughs> when I'm on some of our smaller rivers, right. I go 30 right. feet. That's fine. That's good. You know, so we're talking about our leader here. You know, let's maybe break it down into a little bit more specific. Sure. What does your leader uh, setup look like for something like this? Yeah. So I probably have oh over a hundred articles on trout bitten about the mono rig. I thought you were going to say a hundred liters. <laughs> maybe. So that that doesn't count. I need you to pick one. 
<laughs> so I'll pick one. And I'll say <laughs> that the stand- told me you had thousands. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll say that I, I fish my standard monorig most often, and that's why it's standard. The standard monorig is really built for functioning enough like a fly line that it'll push flies to a target. That's important. Keep that in mind. And so it casts beautifully in the hands of somebody who's been doing it for a while. And if you really just understand the principles, and heck, if you're a good dry fly caster, you'll cast the standard mono rig really well too. Anyway, yeah. this, this mono rig that I'm talking about, as I build it, can even cast standard dry flies, I mean, alone, by themselves, without weight, without the bead head, or without any split shot, without any weight, you can cast it. Now, we've gone through that before. You know, you can go back through other podcasts, and I'll leave links to all the stuff about the mono rig. So I'm not going to go through the exact formula right here. But I will say the material choice for the butt section in a tight line leader is extremely important. And it's important here, too. That transition and cider section can also make a difference. And if any of the leader, if any of the leader is too limp or thin, casting of that leader is then limited. Uh, you're you're kind of stuck with casting weights around. And mm-hmm. I, I talk about this a lot. That has right. a tendency to turn into lobbing. Now, I'm not saying that you're always lobbing if you're using a thin leader, but boy, it, it lends itself to that, right? We're, lobbing, I say, is limiting because you're using the weight to do all of the work. And the way I like to build the standard mono rig is so that the leader will function like a fly line and push things around to a target. So anyway, yeah. I use my standard right. mono rig almost always when I plan on doing any tight line dry dropper because I can force that dry fly into the position in the exact same lane where the nymph just landed. I go nymph lands and then dry fly lands. And we've talked about this before. You alluded to it earlier in this season, that the leader and the way you cast it has so much to do with that placement Mm. and getting things set up from the beginning. Yep. My favorite leader for this, it it probably looks similar to yours, but really what matters the most to me is the butt section. And that's the 20 pound because that's where our that's where our driving force is coming from. Right. So if I know, or if I'm in a time of season of the year where this style of fishing is very prevalent, I'm going yeah. to be fishing a 20-pound butt section regularly Yeah. in anticipation for that. Yeah. And I use a thinner rig, uh, like a 10-pound. I even use a 5-pound butt section. And I have done tight line dry dropper with all of those. And you can make it work. You can make it work. But it, it's like it doesn't love to do it. You know, (laughs) (laughs) you have to work a lot harder. Yeah. And your placement options are much more slim. Uh, What you can do with the balance of flies, the the fly options are more slim. But again, so many different rigs would work. And I think you could say that almost any tight line rig would work for this. If you understand how it's going to work and if you're willing to find that balance between the flies. Absolutely. And if, and if you're somebody who's never fished this style before and you want to go try it, and if it's difficult to cast uh, like a mm. dry fly style cast, let's say, with a uh, with the standard mono rig, don't be discouraged because if you've never done it, it's going to feel awkward. Uh, just believe that you can work it out and focus on those good casting principles just the same as you would in a, uh, a regular dry fly cast with a yeah. fly line. And just keep working at it because it will make sense. You know, don't go at it and try to use a five-pound leader and try to do it super thin right out the gate. No. Help yourself out if you're going to do this with a bit of a, a stiffer butt section. Yeah, because it performs more like a fly line. And then you have that advantage, too, to do the things we're talking about with it. So the rigging, you know, like, okay, that, those, that's the general leader we're using. But the rigging, I'm going to say somewhere below the cider is where I tie on the dry. For mm-hmm. this tight line dry dropper style. That's variable. I mean, I'm going to say at least one foot, usually at least two feet below my cider. I'm going to put the dry fly. Sometimes three, sometimes four, hardly ever more than four feet below the cider. Let's average it out at two. And um, for me, it's usually on a tag. I like to tie that dry fly on a tag. Mm -hmm. That's kind of a surprise to a lot of people. We're putting a dry fly on a tag. Just like you would a tag nymph, we put this dry fly now on a tag. That's how I like to That's key. You do that? Yeah. 
I think that's essential because when you add a tag, sort of an extension of your uh, of your leader there, when you want to go tight to the to the dry fly, mm-hmm. and you lift up that line, there's a junction that happens yes. between your main line and the tag. Beautiful, and it's not uh, it's not as easy to overcompensate and lift the dry fly off the water when you're trying to go tight to it because there's a little bit of grace where you can mm. take it right up to that point and then you stop. Yeah. And being able to have that grace or that leash, as you like to call it, mm. of a uh, you know four inches of grace to move around or whatever it may be is really key to making that happen. It's a really special thing. I like what you said there. And then we can add two nymphs, one nymph, you can use split shot. The weight form, the form of the weight, where the weight comes from, has nothing to do with what makes this stuff succeed. Right. That's a good point. Expand on that just for a moment there. Well, um, there are no Euro nymphing flies. I've said that before. It's just, they're <laughs> flies. And you, yeah. can put, you can put tungsten beads on them. You can put brass beads on them. You can put lead wraps on them. You can put split shot in front of uh, tungsten beaded flies. You can put split shot in front of unweighted flies or lightly weighted flies with lead wraps. It doesn't matter. That's not what makes this work. It is not the tungsten beads and the lack of split shot. Heck, you can do drop shot and make this work. I will say, I don't think I've ever done drop shot with a tight line dry dropper, but there's no reason why it wouldn't work because I do drop shot sometimes with an indie rig. I mean, You'd want to keep drop the- shot dry dropper. You might you might have uh, just unlocked something for <laughs> <Right>. us here. <laughs> <laughs> drop shot dry dropper. Yeah, I've no. I don't think I've ever said that. Don't but again, it's like it would work. You know, but like, yeah, yeah, it would work. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Keep the drop shot pretty light. The point yeah. is, it it's not the weight that matters. They all work, and you know how I know because I try them all the time. I'm always goofing around. <laughs> when one thing works for a while, and I catch a few fish, I change it. That's what I find over and over is if you fish it well, it works, you know, and if you, if you find fish are eating in the middle and then you put flies in the middle on multiple different rigs and they're drifted well, they eat them. It's not the rig. It's not the leader nearly as much. It's just fishing it well and understanding where the fish are eating and how they're eating and then feeding it to them. When stuff's working for me, I keep doing it. That's why I catch so many more fish than you do. (laughs) (laughs) well austin i've been through that phase and now you know i like to challenge myself (laughs) yeah okay guy you know i could catch as many as i wanted to if you really wanted if i really wanted to humble brag that's why i change up so i have an excuse yeah i stopped catching them because i changed my rig i just tested stuff (laughs) (laughs) gotta give him a break give him a break dominic that's right take it easy on those fish give him a break it's too dirty. Don't fish that. Anyway, there's a lot of room for variety on the way you rig things. Uh, the distance between flies, doesn't matter. Dry fly to the nymph, as long as it needs to be, you know? That's not a question for us to answer. That's a question for you and your situation and the river and the trout that you're standing in front of to answer. Actually, you should stand behind the trout. <laughs> Just saying. <laughs> so they don't see you. It's true. All right, nymphs and dry flies. Hit it. Ready? Go. Nymphs, dry flies. Again, it comes down to finding the balance, too, and it comes down to what you want to do. Mm. Uh, if we're going to be fishing uh, primarily with the nymph in the driver's seat, we're going to want a nymph that is weighted correctly with the dry fly so that the moment that the uh, fish or the bottom or whatever comes in contact with that nymph, we see it immediately on the dry fly above. Hmm. So we don't want a, a really light nymph and a super buoyant dry fly if that's what we're looking to do. We want a you know a fairly weighted nymph with a dry fly that um, is buoyant but not uh, overpowering to the nymph below. Yeah, you know what I mean by that. I do. Yeah, and another way I think about the balance is if the dry fly is too buoyant, then it's probably pretty air resistant too. And as you yeah. Throw in the cast. Let's th- say you're just trying to throw 25 feet out there. Just 25 feet. If you are fishing, uh, let's say, let's say a number 10 Matamax, right? Dry fly. That's a very mm-hmm. air resistant fly. And then if you pair that up with a size 16 beadhead pheasant tail, you're not going to cast that very easily. Right. There's too much air resistance in the dry fly, and so you don't have the power and the push of a standard fly line behind to just push it out there. Um, 
you don't have that anymore. And even with this standard mono rig, which has power, relatively speaking, it has power. It's still not going to push the rig that I just described out there. Not yeah, that's totally different. Yeah. And so instead of fishing that number 10 Mata Max, I would fish, you know, with that size 16 bead head pheasant tail at the point. Well, my drive fly would probably be a size 16 clink hammer or maybe a size 14 clink hammer, but not a 12 because then it's being too air resistant. And if it's windy at all, especially if, the, if that wind is in your face or if, even if you just have a breeze kind of in your face, those are all things to consider. And that's what I kind of think of as the balance between the flies. A great starting position is just if you got a 16 at the end of the nymph, try a 16 uh, in your dry fly or maybe one size bigger. It depends on how you tie them, how many hackle wraps, whatever. 14s or 16, you know, maybe only go a size difference. That almost always works for me. Uh, there are certainly other things to consider, like uh, the, the shape of the dry fly. For example, caddis tend to have a tent wing style, so they, they actually cut through the air better mm -hmm. than a parachute, which kind of holds itself back. These things matter. And as you fish, you will certainly find that some rigs, wow, this is easy to cast. Heck, I can cast 25, 30 feet with this, no problem. And then other times, you're going to just make one change and maybe go to that size 12 parachute and you go, oh man, this wait a second, this isn't casting very well. And then you can right. probably get it there, but you're having to work too hard, as you said earlier. And right. that's what I think of it, finding the balance between the flies. I also want that sensitivity, like you said. I want that dry fly usually to just, boom, go under as soon as anything happens to that nymph. All right, so we've got a balance. We've got a, a leader set up. Let's talk about how we actually fish this thing. That's the fun part. Yeah. Again, I'm going to go back to the nymphing cast and how everything we do in the air sets us up for everything that we're going to do in the water. Yeah. And the nymphing cast meaning that I still like to tuck cast these flies, or at least use a tuck cast uh, oh, yeah. when I'm delivering the flies to my target, meaning that I'm going to come forward with a hard stop and keep the rod tip high, and that nymph is going to duck down, it's going to curl under, it's going to land with some slack, and then I'm going to place the dry fly directly in the same seam above it. Yeah. And I don't do that willy-nilly. You know, I still have <laughs> that power. I still got the juice in the cast, right? Yeah. yeah, same here. Yeah, I'm tuck casting all the time. We don't tuck cast just to get deeper. Nope. Mm -hmm. We're tuck casting for placement. So the thing at the end of the line hits first. And then, in this case, the dry fly hits second in the same scene. That's it. With power, all that stuff. Um, we want to be tight to the dry. I like to land tight to the dry. Why lay line down if you're just going to pick it up anyway? Great point. And if I'm going to say there's the number one mistake that I see in this style, that's it. People will cast out. They drop the rod tip. The line lays down maybe three, four, five, ten feet of leader is laying down. Why? Because then the next thing they do is pick it up. Well, when you pick it up, that surface tension forces that dry to drag downstream toward you, and there comes the nymph. So the whole thing drags simply because you dropped your rod tip. Right. So stop it high with a tuck, like you said, and then aim for what I call stick of the landing. It is very close to what I call stick of the landing when you're just pure tight lining. Exactly. Aim for just being tight to the dry from the beginning. So don't try to do this at 30 feet. Literally go to 20 feet. Start at 20 feet away. Get it perfect at 20 feet where the nymph lands, the dry lands, and then no leader, not even any tippet is touching the water. Everything's up, and you are perfectly in touch with the dry yeah. upon landing, and that's it. That's the perfection right there. That's and really, right. that's all you got to do. Right. Precision Fly and Tackle is a family-owned business with a passion for the outdoors and a sense of adventure. They are anglers who enjoy every moment spent on the water with family and friends. Precision Fly and Tackle carries the widest selection of Euro rods, reels, lines, leaders, flies, and accessories. From the beginner to the advanced angler, Precision Fly and Tackle can outfit every angler, no matter the budget. Visit them online at precisionflyandtackle.com. Then use code TROUTBITTEN10, that's the number 10, for 10% off your order. Gear up with Precision Fly and Tackle for your next adventure. Whether it's after a fishing trip or at a backyard fire, you can bet the Troutbitten crew has a case of new trail broken heels along with us. It's honestly our favorite beer. This hazy IPA is smooth and full-bodied, 
hand-selected citra hops lead to notes of bright clementine and juicy ruby red grapefruit. Broken Heels is a keeper. New Trail Beer is proudly brewed in Williamsport, Pennsylvania and delivered cold to your favorite craft beer retailer every week. At New Trail, it's not about being the best angler. It's about getting out there. So enjoy nature's moments and reward yourself for a day well fished with New Trail Broken Heels. It's Trout Bitten's favorite beer. So, yeah, that's all you got to do, but let's talk about sometimes <laughs> when, we, when we do the opposite and we put some line on the water. Okay. So let's say we are, are casting at a further distance. And, again, when we're casting, there's not fly line out of the guides. So the leader is long enough that we yeah. can make these longer 30-foot, 40-foot casts and still have a pure mono leader out the rod tip. Yeah, yeah. So if we make this cast, and let's say the nymph is heavy enough and the dry is just so that it lands, it lands correctly, if we're 30 feet out, yeah. we're not going to lift that line off the water. You're not going to be able to stick that landing. Right. Well, there right. you go, too. You're not going to be able to stick the landing, period. That, I'd say 30 feet, 30, 32 feet, yeah, is that number, is that length where, yeah, yeah. you're going to have to lay a little bit of line on the water at first. Yep. And exactly at first. So what happens if you have to do that, as soon as that dry fly and that nymph start moving downstream towards you, right? you're going to start to pick up the slack off the water. Yeah. Just like you do if you're fishing a bobber or fishing a, a dorsey or any sort of other suspension device. Mm-hmm. As that makes its way back to you, you're going to retrieve that line at the same speed that the river feeds it to you. Mm. And when it gets close enough, you're going to lift off the remaining slack and go tight to that junction of that dry fly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, tight is always the goal. Again, this is tight line dry dropper. Yep. Tight, then, is the goal. And again, tight, just to recap, is it, what we mean is from rod tip to dry fly in this case, no line on the water. That's our goal. If you can't do it, because you're casting too far, basically, then you, you have to <laughs> live. <laughs> I'm saying just yeah. wade closer. But yeah, if, you, if you're really forced yeah. into it, which I will say is rare, but if you're forced into it and you have to lay line on the water. I like what you're saying there. Pick it up as soon as you can. Mm-hmm. As it's coming, coming back to you, it might need to only drift five feet. And then you go, Ooh, I can just lift that right up. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I, I love it. Yeah. So just get tight as fast as you can and as effectively as you can. Yeah. Cause the tight line advantage is, well, that's what it is. It provides you that advantage. And then all of this stuff we've talked about works out really, really well. Right on. So I, I mean, that's it. I mean, that, that's the tight line dry dropper stuff. I mean, that's the rig, that's the leader, that's the, that's the flies, that's, that's how we fish it, all right? And there's so much material on trout bitten. Go find it. I promise I'm going to leave a bunch of links, a bunch of resources that are always here in the show notes. But there are just a couple, I'm going to say special tactics, just different things, unique things we can do with this rig that I'd like to touch on. And one of them we've mentioned before in other podcasts is slipping contact. Austin, you want to talk about that? Sure. So this is going to tie directly into uh, sort of why we prefer the dry fly on a tag. Yeah. Um, yeah, you mentioned this a little bit earlier. So we deliver the cast and we get tight right away, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're tight from the rod tip right to the dry fly. Mm-hmm. And this is another reason why I prefer to fish that dry fly on a tag. Because yeah. there's that junction, there's that six inches, five inches of grace there, and then your dry fly. Yeah, yeah, like six inches, four or five, six inches of a tag, you mean. Yeah. Of your tag, right, and then to your, dry, your dry flies. So what we can do is mm-hmm. if, uh, let's say we're approaching uh, a different change of depth in the water even, mm-hmm. and our nymph is riding at a certain depth below the water, and we see a shallow run in the second half or the latter half of our drift. And we want to get a pure tight line drift through there with just a nymph. Mm-hmm. Something we can do here is slightly lift the dry fly off the water. Yeah. And again, we're slipping contact between that dry fly and the nymph where we can bring the dry fly off the water, suspend the nymph slightly higher than we were, gain control over that nymph. Maybe we get a strike, and because we're tight, we can feel that. Mm -hmm. And then at the same time, we can drop the rod tip back down Mm -hmm. and go into a pure, uh, you know, more or less uh, dry fly drift again. Right in the same drift, we can do both things. And yeah. you can only do that when you're fishing this style of rig. Yeah, right on. Yeah, I think of it as either I'm suspending the nymph with my rod tip or I'm letting the dry fly suspend the nymph with its buoyancy. Yeah. And for me, I will sometimes 
slip in and out of that contact where my rod is truly in contact with the nymph and that dry fly has this little bit of grace. <laughs> mm-hmm. Or I allow for the load of the nymph to be back on the dry fly and slip in contact back and forth. And we are only talking about four or five or six inches of difference, but yeah, it matters. And it's right. fun to do different things with both the nymph and the dry by slipping that contact. It's cool. And it's really only available, like you said, with this method. Yeah. One other thing then. One other thing is what I call just kind of hopping the dry fly. It's just kind of twitching it or dapping it on the water. And again, there's no other way to do it. Uh, when you're fishing a dry fly, if you're really good at mending, you can mend and throw it just right so that you move the dry fly only inches and you'll kind of hop it or skitter it. But then usually it starts dragging right after that because, well, you were just in touch with the dry enough to move the dry. And uh, anyway, we've talked that through. When you have line on the water, as you said earlier, line, lead, or tippet on the water, things tend to drag. Well, in this case, we're tight to the dry fly. So we can just lift that dry fly up and then drop it back down and the nymph will take it back down and then lift it up again and then drop it back down. And we can do that with, within inches, like an inch or two, just little hops and twitches. You do that very much, Austin? I do. And I think there's some similarities there between slipping contact and we can kind of take it yeah. maybe to the, maybe the hopping is sort of the extreme of slipping contact. Yeah. Where I like to think I, I put a little bit more payload on the rod tip, uh, actually doing some more of that repositioning than yeah. I would if I was just fishing the, the regular slipping contact uh, tactic. But I do, I really do like that. I do too. And I, I've had many, many days, I'm going to say 30, 40, 50 days in my life where this was it. This was the thing to do. Usually it's, I find it out by mistake and I'll just twitch it or hop it just a little bit, maybe even by accident and bam, a fish eats it. And I go, Ooh, that's exciting. Yeah. Let's try to make that happen again. And you mentioned in the previous episode where you found when that dry fly settles in, it can create mm. a, a trigger effect. Yeah. And, and we can kind of like hyper extend that idea when we're doing this style, because we could do that multiple times in one drift. We can make a cast and the dry receives the payload. It sets in. Okay. There's mm-hmm. one. All right. We're going to hop the dry. We're going to lift it up. We're going to gain contact on the nymph. We're going to let the dry fly float in the air. We're going to drop it back down. Okay. The dry fly receives a payload again to the next set of fish Mm -hmm. 10 feet down. And again, that's something you can only do fishing this uh, leader setup. For sure. We also talked in the standard dry dropper episode about how the dry fly will slow down. And sometimes that's a trigger. Well, the same thing's going to happen here. If you've set it up so you have a nymph that is going to find a different current of water underneath. Let's say you're aiming exactly. for the strike zone down there and you get that strike zone. And we said from the beginning of this episode that the dry fly is in touch with the nymph. So very much the speed of the dry fly is bossed around by the nymph. And we're letting that happen. Yeah. Yeah. And so you get that effect again, like we talked about last episode, where a mayfly kind of skitters upstream or just slides upstream a little bit right before it takes off. Yep. Even this hopping, the dry fly looks a lot like a caddis that's dapping. And, you know, caddis will hit the water to lay their eggs and or they'll come back to dap to get a drink. And there are lots of reasons that these mayflies and caddis flies will do things like this on top of the water or on the surface. We can imitate all of that on this system because we have such really minute control over the way everything goes. Hey, anything else, Austin? Yeah, I'll touch on um, tippet material a little bit because we talked about that mm. some in previous episodes. All right. But one of the reasons I love fishing uh, the standard mono rig is because I'm often fishing a regular nymph rig moments before I switch over or switch to this style of, of dry dropper. Yeah. And... Some people get tied up in this. I don't, especially for this style, I say specifically, is the nylon versus uh, fluorocarbon. If I'm fishing a double nymph rig, just standard going along, mm-hmm. and I see some trout rising, I decide, oh, I want to switch over to fish a dry fly. I want to offer that. Personally, I'm not going to go clip my tippet off at the tippet ring for my cider and build a new leader or tippet section out. Mm-hmm. What mm-hmm. I like to do is just clip the top nymph, tie on a dry, and then place a nymph below that will properly balance that. Yeah, right on. And the reason this works, that I don't get tied up in it, is because that leader material is off the water. 
Yeah. You know, we talk about the fluorocarbon sinking and, you know, that causing problems for our dry fly. Well, if 98% of my fluorocarbon is in the air, I don't care. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. I don't change it either. And to be honest, even um, I've been fishing some fluoro with dry fly leaders and I don't know, mm-hmm. it's so th- it's so thin. I don't think it matters much if it goes underneath. If it is sinking more, it's not by much. Right. But yeah, I don't I don't change anything. I mean, I'm not changing anything. I just often I will just clip off the top nymph, like you said, and I'll throw a dry fly on. Sometimes I add a tag further up. It depends on how everything was rigged. Yeah, right. There's not much adjustment to be made from going pure tight line nymphing to just now tight line dry dropper. It's pretty easy. And, and that switching back and forth is fun and effective. You right. see just a couple of risers up above, go get them, you know? Yep, it is fun. All right, so a tight line dry dropper rig may be my favorite way to fish. I like methods that give me excellent control. And a tight line rig with direct contact as the primary feature is built for exactly that. It feels like I can make something happen rather than hoping to get lucky with a trout. And that's fun. With Tightline Dry Dropper, I get the effectiveness of a nymphing rig and the excitement of a dry fly rig. It's very different than the other styles of dry dropper because it's built on a mono rig. And the catch rate, on average, for where this rig applies is often doubled or even tripled. Watch the nymph tuck in exactly on target and see the dry fly land downstream of the nymph. You're tight to the dry, from rod tip to fly as it bobs and weaves back toward you. And when a trout races for the dry, you're close enough to see him coming. It takes discipline not to set the hook too early. When he eats, you're immediately tight to that fish with no slack. You're connected to a trout on a tight line, only a rod length or two away, and the fight is on. Those are good times. Hey, I want to say thank you again to all of our show sponsors and to each and every one of you listening out there. The Trout Bitten Podcast has become one of my favorite branches of this business, and it all happens because you support the show. So thank you. Next up, this Dry Dropper Skills series concludes with Episode 5. It'll be a roundtable discussion with the full Trout Pitten crew, where we'll kind of tie up some loose ends and hear from the other guys on how they like to set up and fish these Dry Dropper rigs. So look for that one in your podcast feed. All right, Austin, will you read us out? Let's do it. Remember, the Trout Pitten Project is a free resource for all anglers. The Trout Bitten website hosts over 900 articles with endless stories, commentaries, tactics, tips, and more. Find what you like through the top menu and through the search page. Navigate by way of the categories and the tags, too. Be sure to find the Trout Bitten YouTube channel, currently featuring the Trout Bitten Tips series and an ongoing series about fly fishing the monorail. These are short, useful, and unique tips for your fly fishing life. Thank you for listening to the Trout Bitten Podcast. Please give the show a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts and leave a comment, because it really does help. Until next time, friends, fish hard, enjoy the day, and find your life on the water. There's air comes out there. Stupid man. Yeah. What are you What are you gonna do about that? Yeah. <laughs> this is ridiculous. Should be a half beer podcast. <laughs>